So your mind is this enormous part of you, which is, it can be defined in three words. It's how you think, how you feel, and how you choose. Symptoms tell us only that there's something going on. So if you only use the symptom and you try and suppress the symptom, you don't deal with the issue. You embrace with a gathering of awareness of how you are feeling emotionally and physically and the thoughts that it's bringing up. I'm grateful for the fact that we can actually control our mind. I think it's one of the most phenomenal things and it's a skill that we can learn. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Friends, the information contained in this episode is truly a game changer. I've had a lot of episodes about stress, the power of mindset, our thoughts, our brains, but Dr. Caroline Leaf's work is truly incredible in providing very scientific and fascinating findings in her studies on the brain, on our brain waves, and how our thoughts literally change our brains and consequently change our lives. Her work is fascinating. I cannot recommend enough that you get her book. You will be shocked by the findings. I know I was. On top of that, I simply adore Dr. Leaf as a person. I love her family. I actually know them personally, and they are amazing, incredible human beings. Friends, I really think that you will enjoy this episode. There will be a full transcript in the show notes. Those will be at melanieavalon.com slash toxic thoughts. There will also be two giveaways for this episode. First of all, we'll be doing a signed book giveaway on my Instagram, so definitely check that out. Again, this is a book that you really, really want to get, so why not get a signed version? And then second, there will be a giveaway in my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting plus Real Foods plus Life. Comment something that you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something I love. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this wonderful conversation with Dr. Caroline Leaf. Hi friends, welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly excited about the conversation that I am about to have. For listeners who have been with me since the beginning, this guest was actually the second episode of this show ever. Back in the beginning, I originally brought her on for her book, Switch on Your Brain. But today's topic, friends, Oh my goodness. I am here with Dr. Caroline Leaf, and she has a new book called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Five Simple Scientifically Proven Steps to Reduce Anxiety, Stress, and Toxic Thinking. And friends, no pun intended, this is one of the most mind-blowing books I have ever read in my entire life. What I love about it and what I think we will likely dive deep into in this conversation is we often talk about things like the role of our thoughts and how they change our our identity and our habits and our experience of life. But Dr. Caroline's work goes in deep. She's done clinical studies on what thoughts actually are, what they look like in the brain, how utilizing specific techniques that she discusses actually change our brain chemistry that you can see in trials, on the scans. It's really a blend of very intense science with extremely practical, applicable 
techniques that you can use to make changes in your life. So I am just so excited for this conversation. Dr. Lee, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. And thank you for being a reader on the book. I mean, you were one of our readers that gave us some input before the book was finalized. So thank you for your input. Oh, I was so, so honored. Yeah, that was many months ago now when I read that version, but it was absolutely amazing. And I was so excited to know that someday we were going to have this conversation right now. So a little bit about Dr. Lee for those who are not familiar. She is a communication pathologist and also a cognitive neuroscientist. She has a master's and a PhD in communication pathology and a BSc in logopedics from the University of Cape Town and the University Ox in South Africa, and she specializes in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology. A lot of big words there, <laughs> properly earned. And Dr. Leaf, you might have seen her. She's been all over the place. She's been on O Magazine, Huffington Post, L, TED. She has a TED Talk, many, many books. So she is very well known in her sphere and beyond that. But to start things off, Dr. Leaf, so like I said, I read your book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. It was, I mean, it just blew my mind on so many levels. I guess that is a place to start. You put forth this idea in the book, the difference between the mind versus the brain. And I think that is something that your work, you know, deals a lot with. So for listeners, What is the difference between the mind and the brain? Are we our brain? Are we our mind? How do they relate? What's going on there? Well, that's such a good question to start, Melanie, because it's, it's, it is, it's the core of my work. And the reason it's been the core of my work is because in science, the question, what is the mind or what is consciousness is considered the hard question of science. And that was a challenge that I took up with both hands because I don't believe it's the hard question of science. I believe it's actually the most obvious question of science because mind and brain are two separate things. So the reason I say it's the, it's the most obvious question of science is because mind is you. Mind is what you're doing all the time. Your mind is always in action. If you're alive, which you are, and you're listening to me, your, your mind is in action. 24-7, you are always using your mind. We can go three weeks without food. We can go three days without water. We can go three minutes without oxygen, but we can't even go three seconds without using our minds. So, and even when we're sleeping, we're still using our minds. You're using your minds when you eat, sleep, drink, walk, exercise, talk, a plan, be in a relationship, respond at work, read the news. You use your mind for absolutely everything as a human. So your mind is this pervasive, ubiquitous, enormous infinite part of you, which is, it can be defined in three words. It's how you think, how you feel, and how you choose. When you think, you feel. When you think and feel, you choose. Those three things always go together. You cannot think without feeling. You cannot think and feel without choosing. You cannot think without feeling and choosing. So it's the three always go together. So mind is thinking, feeling, and choosing. And the way you think, feel, and choose, and the way I think, feel, and choose is completely different. So there's a uniqueness to each person's mind, a uniqueness to how each of us think, thinks, feels, and chooses, which is really fascinating. So where does the brain come in? 
the brain is a physical substance. It's made of all these different little, you know, the neurons and the different parts and those grouped together into the different structures of the brain and these different types of neurons and different types of cells and different types of chemicals. And it groups into all these different structures and eventually the left and the right hemisphere and the four lobes. And so it's a very complex structure, as you all know. And it's been something that I've been involved in studying for the last 38 years. So the study of the brain is called neuroscience and the study of how the brain can change is called neuroplasticity. And the study of neuroplasticity only really came about in the mid-90s, although we accepted Although I was doing neuroplastic research in research in neuroplasticity in the 80s and late 80s and early 90s, when it was the era where they didn't believe the brain could change. So the brain is physical, it's, it's structures, and it, it is driven by. It cannot drive itself. It's driven by. What is it driven by? The mind. So as we think, feel, and choose, that is the engine of the brain. It's the thing that wakes the brain up and, and the brain is a responder to the mind. And the brain works with the body. So as we thinking, feeling and choosing, we actually imprint the consequence of thinking, feeling and choosing, which is thoughts. So we think, feel and choose, which is mind. When you think, feel and choose, you actually build something. And what do you build? You build thoughts. So mind is think, feel, choose. You always think, feeling and choosing 24-7. And as you think, feel and choose, you do something. There's a result. The result is you build thoughts. So thoughts contain all our experiences, every single thing that we have moment by moment of every single day and is built into thoughts inside of the brain. So the brain is always changing. And that's what neuroplasticity is. Neuro meaning brain, plastic meaning to change. So the brain is the physical responder to the mind. It's the part of you that changes in response to as you think, feel, and choose. And as your brain changes, so does every cell of your brain and body. So it's not only your brain that responds to your mind, but your entire body. So your brain and body collectively are made of 37 to 100 trillion cells, which is a lot of cells. And as you're listening to me now, your mind is what's helping you listen to me. So you're thinking, feeling, and choosing in response to what I'm saying. And that is pushing a force through your brain. And your brain is responding electromagnetically, chemically, genetically, and building what I'm saying into thought trees in your brain. They look like trees. But it's also building my inf this information that you're hearing into every cell of your brain brain and body. So you're building thought trees and then inside every cell of your body, you're making changes in your DNA. And at the same time, you're building trees into your mind. So you're building what you're hearing into three places, into this quantum gravitational field of mind, thinking, feeling, choosing as forests of trees and into your brain as forests of trees and into your body as changes in the DNA. And that's what we as humans are doing. We're amazing. I mean, we're totally amazing. So that's the difference between mind and brain. Unfortunately, we're in an era where mind and brain are used interchangeably. And we have become very reductionistic, as a, a neuro-reductionistic as a society, which means that we see everything as being brain. So brain, 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 brain. My brain made me do it. And billions of dollars have been spent on trying to find what we call the neurobiological correlates of what we do as humans. So they're trying to say that part of your brain makes you happy and that one makes you believe in God and that one makes you sad and that one would. So instead of realizing that the brain doesn't generate anything, the brain is simply responding to the mind. So they're separate but inseparable. Oh my goodness. So much there. 
This is a question I didn't anticipate asking, but the difference between the brain and the mind, would that sort of be the reason that something like artificial intelligence, we wouldn't perceive as having an awareness because it wouldn't have the mind in a way, it would be sort of like the brain. Like I was thinking like it could think and maybe it could choose, but I don't know if it could feel. I don't know. (laughs) Artificial intelligence can't think, feel or choose because it's all pre-programmed quantum computations. So and those have to be designed by a human who can use the creative part. So it's our thinking, feeling and choosing that designs the formula that then can be accelerated. So machines can then take formulas and they can make things much faster at very, very fast speeds. But the the code that has to be written in order for that to happen is done by a human who can think, feel and choose. So it's basically a repetitive pattern that is done in incredibly high numbers for want of a better way of explaining it. So one of the leading scientists in the field of consciousness, Professor Stuart Hammerhoff and then Sir Roger Penrose, who's actually a Nobel Prize laureate, he won the Nobel Prize laureate for his work in physics, they both have actually talked about, I talk a lot about how ridiculous it is to think that artificial intelligence will even begin to resemble humanity. And the basic, we need, I mean, artificial intelligence is fantastic in terms of, of technology and, and cars and, and creating things to actually help humans and improve our lifestyle and medical technologies. It's going to be brilliant for that. But in terms of trying to make a robot that is going to have a human component, that's not going to ever happen. And one of the main reasons is because, and this is quite a hard thing to understand, but if you look at computation in the brain, if you look at numbers and and, and the, the way that the brain computes things, one neuron computes things to the power of 16, which is absolutely enormously fast. That's one neuron has that kind of capacity. So it's into the power of 16. Whereas that's just one. We have anywhere from 100 trillion connections and we have 100 billion neurons. One generates that kind of energy, that kind of computational capacity. If you look at all of them working together, we can't even begin to to calculate that. It would be a thousand times, a thousand times, a thousand years before we could even begin to take the computation capacity of one neuron, and that's only one part of the brain. There are other structures in the brain, like the Golgi, I mean, the, not the Golgi apparatus, but there's other types of neuronal structures that we haven't even understood it until recently that they play a massive role in memory and thinking, feeling and choosing and responding and things like that. They haven't even looked at that capacity. So what AI is working on is taking the power of one neuron and then taking that power of one neuron and trying to make it do what humans do. But they can't because as soon as you add another neuron, you have an infinite number of computations. And you add a third neuron, you've got another another layer of infinity added. By the time you have 100 billion neurons, you've got an unbelievable, impossible number to even conceive. And then you've still got all the other chemicals and different structures of the brain and the astrocytes and and each of those is playing a role. So you can see what I'm, where I'm going with this. And then there's the, the intelligence in every cell of, in every DNA of the DNA of every cell of the body. So you can't do it. Yeah. So bottom line is what is more intelligent than all of that is our mind. So our mind's more intelligent than everything I've just described. That's where intelligence resides. It's in the mind. So the actual mind, does it occupy real estate in our body? Yes. What it does is is mind needs brain and body to be able to express itself. So you can't be Melanie without your brain and your body. So your mind is the sort of gravitational fields of thinking, feeling, and choosing. And they're only really 
express themselves or come alive or are activated as they move through your brain and your body. So it's your brain and your body that help to translate you, Melanie, into how you function as a human and what you generate, which is what you say and what you do. So they, they're inseparable, but separate. So yes, where they, in terms of the, the mind in its gravitational field, is like a massive forest. And every single experience we have becomes a memory in that forest. So think of forest looking like trees. And then that same pattern of forest looking, arb, it's an arbor-like structure, forest plant-like, tree-like structures, is also what what the thoughts look like in the brain. So thoughts do occupy real estate. So when you think, feel, and choose, which is mind, you build thoughts. Thoughts occupy mental real estate and mind real estate and genetic real estate. So that there's these physical substrates to the consequence of mind. So is it kind of like light in a room, like the mind aspect, because it's the energy through everything? That is a way you could look at it, at, at the light in the room, but the light, in order for light to express, it needs to move through because it's an electromagnetic light wave. For us to actually experience light, we have to convert it through equipment. We have to use physical stuff to translate the wave into something that we can actually see as light. And then that then bounces off our eye and you get another whole translation happening. So it's, it's using the physical. So the non-physical uses the physical to express That's what we're having with the mind. That's what basically the mind is. Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference, May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and dry farm wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. 
Hi friends, I am so excited to tell you about something that I am obsessed with that can revolutionize your health, help with stress levels, support longevity, and really help you when you go out and are having a bit of wine or drinks or all the things. And I'm going to tell you how to get $100 off. So I've been talking about the role of NAD in our health for so long. NAD stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. It is a coenzyme that is involved in so many processes in our body, including energy production and DNA repair. And it is depleted by things like stress, aging, lack of sleep, alcohol, and of course, too much partying. In fact, a lot of researchers believe that declining NAD levels is one of the key factors in aging. That's why I have been really interested in boosting and supporting NAD levels. And I have tried all the things. You can take precursors to NAD called NR and NMN. I still take NMN. However, I am much more alert by directly giving your body NAD. And historically, the most common way to do that that is accessible to people was through NAD IVs and NAD shots. I actually never did an NAD IV for a few reasons. One, they are extraordinarily expensive. Two, I've been doing the shots, which I liked because they were easy to do. That said, they always made me feel a little bit unwell right afterwards. And I've heard that the IV makes a lot of people feel unwell. So if the shots were making me feel unwell and that was going into the muscle first as like a barrier, I can't even imagine what putting it straight into my bloodstream would have done. Plus with the IVs, you have to sit there for potentially hours. So basically IVs were a no-go for me. So like I said, I was doing the shots, but I was like, I wish there was an easier way to do this. Then a company called Ion Layer reached out to me. Oh my goodness, friends. I am so obsessed. So they make transdermal NAD patches and they have studies showing that these patches actually boost your NAD levels. And what's so amazing is you put on a patch. It's super easy to put on. I have a video on my Instagram about how you do it. You basically get this patch thing with like a negative side and a positive side. You put saline on one side, you mix up the NAD with some sterile water and the NAD that they give you on the other side. Then you stick it to your arm or wherever you want to put it. You put a super cool black patch over it, kind of like how you put the patches over CGMs. And then what's amazing is there are no side effects. You don't feel unwell from it and it lasts for 14 hours and it's so easy. You can do it at home and then you can really decide when you want to do it. So with the shots, I was doing them once a week and I was trying to do them before going out with this patch. Now I put on the patch before going out and it makes me feel so good. It really helps the next day from any alcohol recovery that you may need. And they look pretty awesome with my outfits. Not going to lie. I am obsessed with these patches. I just want everybody to know about them and they are so much more affordable than the shots or the IVs. If you want to boost your NAD levels, support anti-aging, help with your stress, help with lack of sleep, and or optimize your partying. You need these patches, friends. And I'm so excited because working with the company has been amazing and they are giving you guys $100 off, which is incredible. So to get that discount, just go to melanieavalon.com slash ion layer. That's I-O-N-L-A-Y-E-R and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get $100 off your first order. I cannot recommend these enough. I'm going to use them for the unforeseeable future, probably for the rest of my life. It's literally just become part of my arsenal now. Like when I'm getting ready to go out, usually once a week, put on my NAD patch. And even if I don't go out that week, I still like to do one once weekly. 
Oh, P.S. They're also amazing for traveling. You guys know I'm not a big traveler. I've been doing more traveling recently and I wear these on the plane there and back. Game changer. Although it's really fun at TSA, especially because I already opt out and don't go through the scanner thing. So they already are suspicious. And then they're like, what's that on your arm? And I'm like, it's NAD. And then they're like, what's that? And then I'm like, it's a coenzyme in your body that's involved in a lot of metabolic processes and energy production and DNA repair. And then they just look at me really weird, but it's fine. It's totally fine. So again, that's melanieavalon.com slash ion layer to get $100 off your ion layer kit. It comes with six patches, totally the way to go for boosting NAD levels. And I cannot recommend it enough. melanieavalon.com slash ion layer with the coupon code melanieavalon for $100 off. Listeners, you're going to just have to get the book because there's so much information. We're not even going to remotely scratch the surface. But in your book, you talk a lot about the different brain waves and how you see them because what we can talk about the trials and the work that you've done, but how those show up on scans and what they look like. And so I was just wondering, because you talked about how there's delta, theta, alpha, beta, high beta, and gamma. So the relationship between our brain waves and our mind, what does that relationship look like? Like the example I was thinking of was you talk about how when we're in the high beta state that it it's like anger and guilt and shame and it it shuts down our rational thinking. So if a person's brain, for example, had a lot of high beta, how does that relate to the mind? Like could their mind keep them from getting kidnapped by high beta or do those brain waves kind of determine our rational experience of our thoughts? Yes, excellent question. So let's make this very simple. Let's pick up on the first part of the first couple of questions of mind-brain difference and going to the brain waves, but using a practical example so that people can relate to it. So let's say that you wake up in the morning and you feel really depressed. Like it's like a just that you just feel like you don't even feel like getting out of bed. And as you feel that, that is as you open your eyes and you feel that depression. And that feeling of, oh my gosh, I just cannot face the day. Then that feeling is an, that depression is an emotional warning signal coming from your mind. And you, so, so depression is actually this signal that's coming from the mind through the brain. And we then experience this feeling of depression. And then our body starts responding. We feel like maybe achy or gut wrench or whatever. And then the in the brain, what we will see is suddenly we'll have a change in the energy response in the brain, which we can measure. And so that comes to the brain waves. And so the person is waking up and they're depressed and they can't face the day and they're just feeling like this is just too much and I'm overwhelmed and there's just too much going on in the family and work and pressure and COVID and politics and whatever, from the big to the, you know, just whatever, bosses or whatever it is, it just, you just woke up and you feel awful. And so what's happening is that you feeling awful is your mind responding, it's you with your thinking, feeling, choosing, respond to what's been going on over the past day, week, month, year, however long, and it's kind of accumulated, whatever, you are experiencing an emotional and physical warning signal in response to what you've experienced. And that then is an energy force you'll push your brain. Your brain will then 
be activated and all the memories related to why you're feeling depressed. So the overwhelm of work, family, whatever it may be, start moving into your conscious mind and you in your face now you start ruminating and, and thinking about all these terrible things that are going on and that you have to do and blah, blah, blah. So you pull up the physical. So the mind activates the, the mind trees, the thinking, feeling and choosing pulls up the trees from the gravitational field, which then go through your brain and your brain activates the actual physical trees holding these thoughts and these physical trees which are thoughts holding all the memories related to whatever's making you depressed and you may not even be aware of them they're just popping in your head and then we see that creates neurochemical chaos in the brain we see a drop of oxygen in the front of the brain a drop of blood flow in the front of the brain and energetically using something like a QEEG we can see what will happen is alpha which is a bridging it's, it's called a bridge wave. It's referred to often as a wave, like it acts like a bridge. Alpha is a very important when we start feeling very insightful, when we're able to sort of analyze ourselves and, and analyze why we feel how we feel and introspect and kind of that kind of stuff. We will see and, and pull up memories from the past and, and look at what you were thinking and alpha will increase and it will increase in a very balanced way across the front of the brain when you're conscious and across the whole brain, but it's very prominent in the front of the brain. At the same time, you would get a lot of what we call beta, which means that you're coming online. So the alpha helps you dig into your non-conscious mind where the trees are, which is where the thought in your the, the thought trees are, which is all your contain all your memories and stuff, experiences that are. And then the beta means you're bringing them online. So you're kind of bringing them into consciousness to analyze them. And then the high beta is where you get bursts of insight. And then as you pull something up from the past, you'll get a wave of delta. And as you get a bit of another burst of insight, you'll get a bit of high beta. And then that will then, we then see an increase in alpha. And then you'll suddenly increase a, in a burst of delta, which shows that something's now being pulled up from the non-conscious. Whenever we pull something up from the depths of our unconscious mind, which we can define as being the biggest part of our mind, which is operating 24-7 where all our memories are stored, we'll get a burst of delta. As we suddenly get a burst of, okay, this is why I'm feeling depressed, you'll get a burst of theta, which is, and I'm not expecting you to remember all of this. I'm just giving you the scientific picture of this is happening in your brain if you are managing it, if you mind managing. But if you're depressed and you start going down a rabbit hole of this is terrible, my life's terrible, I can't do this, I'm overwhelmed, I'm broken, this is happening and that's happening. And that's it. And then, and you start reading all these memories. Delta will increase pushing up the memories. The alpha, which helps you to pull up the memories, will start becoming asymmetrical. So it starts, you start getting an imbalance in the front of your brain. High beta, which is supposed to only be operating in bursts, starts being like a flood. Beta, which is the online, increases too much as well. So you're feeling buzzy. You start getting a lot of gamma, which is a learning wave, an activity that a type of energy that will start being generated when you start getting a lot of integrating a lot of different memories across the brain, which is a good thing if you're being creative. But if you're being negative, it can lead to catastrophization and overgeneralization. So you'll get a lot of gamma when you're learning in a positive way and being constructive, but you'll get a lot of gamma in an abnormal way when you start ruminating and overgeneralizing and catastrophizing and having a myopic vision that one thing's gone wrong, now everything's going to go wrong. And so in other words, the picture I've painted is you get a response and you get an energetic response in all these different waves. And so what I teach people to do is that in that moment when you're feeling depressed 
and you start having all these memories, it's not to shove it back down because you, you shove it back down, it's still, you've, you haven't dealt with it. So something that's undealt with will keep Delta too active during the day. And in, if Delta is too active during the day, your oxygen levels will drop in the front of your brain and you'll get a lot of imbalance between the two sides of the brain in terms of energy. And that then will increase your impulsivity, your reactivity. You'll become a reactor instead of a responder. You won't think things through. You'll get irritated. You'll get frustrated. You'll Fly the handle at everything. You'll you'll withdraw all those whatever whatever it is that we do. What each of us does when we in those kind of states. So in what I teach people to do with the neurocycle is okay. I'm in the state. I recognize it. I embrace it. I'm not scared of this depression I'm feeling. I'm not scared of all these thoughts that are coming up. I'm not seeing myself as clinically depressed and my life's going to fall apart. What I'm doing is I'm allowing myself to feel this depression, to feel the sadness, to feel maybe a bit of grieving, to actually look at these thoughts that are making me feel like this and actually feel sad about them. I'm giving myself permission by saying it's okay to feel this, but it's because it is a message for me. So this is the shift in thinking. This is the toxic way. I feel so depressed. I can't handle this. My life's terrible. It's going downhill. I, I, I'm broken. I'm, I don't know where to turn. I, I can't get out of bed. This is just awful. And you get worse and worse and worse. And that does all that bad brain stuff, crazy things, asymmetry, waves going, rap, uh, tsunamis in your head, homocysteine levels increasing, cortisol levels increasing, inflammation in your brain and your body, DNA being affected, all kinds of stuff. Or you can shift your perspective and say, okay, I'm still sad. I'm still depressed, but I'm giving myself permission. It's okay to feel that way. There's a reason I feel this way, and here is the key. There is a message in this depression and the sadness. I need to look at this. I need to see it as helpful, and I need to see what is the message that this depression that I'm feeling now carries. What is it telling me? Because it's a signal from my non-conscious mind and my brain and the DNA of my body all collectively telling me, hey, Caroline or Melanie or whoever, you're feeling depressed at the moment because of, let's find out why. So my neurocycle, which is in the second part of the book, which is a five-step scientific process that I've developed over extensive scientific research and clinical application over 38 years, simplified into a very, very scientific five-step process called the neurocycle. The neurocycle helps you harness the power of your wisdom mind, which is the internal part of you, the core part of you, the deepest part of your non-conscious mind that is pure wisdom around which everything else is built, that is the knowing in your knower, that has knows how much you can handle, that is the part that we access when we say, this is how I feel, this is why I feel this. That's what, what I should be doing. That Just that knowing that this is the right way of operating. We've all got it. It's the core of who we are. We're wired for love. We're wired for optimism. At the core of who we are, we have this phenomenal power and ability to access wisdom. So in my depressed state, if I don't embrace it, I can't access the wisdom. If I get fearful and think, oh, now I'm clinically depressed, my life's falling apart, and I keep going on that route, I increase the asymmetrical tsunami in the brain and I can't access the wisdom to get myself out of it. So the neurocycle teaches you how to channel that toxic potential energy in the right direction and say, okay, my mind's always working. It's every three seconds my mind's, but at the moment my mind's depressed and going down a rabbit hole of negativity. Rather, I can 
first of all, shift my attitude and, and gather awareness of these emotional and physical warning signals that I'm feeling right now as I open my eyes and embrace them as helpful messengers. Move, which is the first step, it's gather awareness. Move into now a reflect stage, which is a very deep process of being curious and not furious about how you're feeling. A deep process of asking, answering and discussing and putting the thoughts on trial. So instead of saying, I am depressed, and this is terrible, it is embracing, I feel depressed, okay, I'm crying, I'm whatever, but this is okay. This is a symptom of something going on. I am not depression, I am depressed because of. So step, so it's embrace, reflect is I am depressed because of, and you start finding your reasons. Why am I feeling depressed? Why am I feeling this reaction in my heart so sore and physically sore? And there's a direct link I showed it in my research, there's a lot of research coming out showing that depression or anxiety or not managing your stress, you can feel physical pain in your heart because it directly, that energy moves through your heart. Your heart is going to respond. So it's not just some fictitious thing. You, It's a broken heart's a real thing. It's for cardiovascular issues and all the other issues in our body. Our body does respond physically to whatever our mental state is. That when you embrace that, you say you shift 1,400 neurophysiological responses to work for you instead of against you. So by saying, okay, I'm depressed, I feel sad, I embrace this, I, I see it as a messenger, and I see the pain in my heart is actually telling me something, it's okay, I give you permission. You can literally give yourself therapy. You stand back and observe yourself. You become two people. You become the person who's feeling the depression and the person who's walking you through the depression. Same person, but you're in two different states. And you, as you do that, you then start directing yourself. Let's embrace this. Let's reflect on this. Write it down. Grab a little journal. I call it a neurocycle journal. Grab a journal. Start neurocycling. Neuro means brain. Cycle means to brain. What we're doing here with embracing and gathering awareness and reflecting and writing, these are the steps. You are actually taking control of your mind. You're using the wisdom part of your mind to fix the, the crazy part of your mind in that moment. And you are directing your neuroplasticity. You're directing the changes you want to make in your brain. So you write that down. As you write that down, you're digging even deeper and finding out the why behind the symptom of depression and getting more clarity and getting perspective. And then you look at what you've written, which is the fourth step called recheck, where you then look for activators or bigger than triggers. It's like the processes and patterns behind what you're doing and why you're doing it. And then you end off with some sort of a little active reach. Okay, how am I going to, what am I going to do right now? I want to stay in bed, but what I'm going to do is I've got all this energy in me. I can feel the depression. I know why I'm depressed. I've identified, I've written this down. I, I can see it. I'm still sad, but I'm managing depression. I'm not depression anymore. I am depressed because massive shift. I'm still feeling kind of lousy. So what can I do? What's my active reach? What can I do in this moment? And energy is never lost. Energy is just transferred. So you take that energy and you've already now directed it through the five steps of the neurocycle into this positive five-step process. And the active reach is what can you do? What's the little full stop for that moment? And it could be, okay, I'm going to get out of bed and I'm going to go and do a workout. I'm going to go or I'm going to sit and, and do some tapping or I'm going to go for a walk. Something physical is a great idea to do, even if it's five minutes. I'm going to do some breathing, very important to follow with and these many different ways of breathing and, and I've got some specific ones that are incredibly quick and powerful in helping people get themselves under control. So you do a bit of brain preparation. So the active reach is 
get some physical, you know, do something active and then have something positive that you can hang on to for that next moment or that next day. It's okay, I'm going to for the rest of the day. How am I going to manage this? I know why. I've listed out all the things that are making me feel like this. So now my active reach is how am I going to manage these today so I don't feel like this? And so you get a plan of action for how you're going to manage during the course of the day. So that's, I know that's a very long answer, Melanie, but I thought to bring it in, we've now kind of put the mind-brain separation and all the brain waves which describe the response of the brain to the mind with a practical example. And by doing that, you've taken control of your mind. And during the course of the day, you keep neurocycling. You keep on, as, as you find yourself getting to work or getting, you start working and you find yourself still feeling a little depressed, you just quickly do another neurocycle. Okay, why am I feeling depressed? And you see, okay, at the active reach, you get through the five steps and you see in your last step, all right, well, I haven't quite got this particular issue that I wrote down. I haven't got a good plan for that. So what's my plan for that? And you get very constructive. We're in an era, and I know I'm answering long. No, I love it. <laughs> we're in, a, in an era at the moment. We're in a, is the era the right word? We're in a pop culture wellness kind of philosophy, which is all about meditation in terms of non-judgmental mindfulness meditation, get in the moment, focus on the now, the moment, the in this particular moment now. And don't think about the past, don't think about the future, just focus on the now and that'll get you your stress under control. Well, I showed with my research that if you do that, you're not actually going to progress forward. You're going to actually have a bit of a numbing moment. You'll get through the moment, but it's not sustainable and it can backfire and it will backfire because three quarters of our, half to three quarters of our day as humans, we are introspecting and we are going inside of ourselves and, and our mind is working internally. We've always got this internal mind thinking, feeling and choosing going on. And we have to constantly direct it and control it. In fact, my research shows and research of other neuroscientists and quantum physicists that we can actually channel this, uh, control this every 10 seconds. So if we tell us, and, and sorry, and in that, that constant internal thinking, feeling and choosing, we time travel. We are thinking about the past, the present and the future. So to tell someone to only think about now, to gather awareness of now and to ignore the past and the future and to become, you know, to just focus is, is not sufficient. It's it's reductionistic. It's taken a meditative practice out of context completely and reduced it down, which is what we're very good at doing in this Western culture, is taking elements of different philosophies and reducing it down to one thing. And it will have a temporary effect, but it won't have a sustainable effect. So case in point, we are always thinking, feeling, and choosing. We think and feel and choose in a time-traveling way about the past and the future and the present, and we're connecting them all the time. So you can't just think in the now. And I showed in my research that if you just create awareness, but you don't actually have a way of dealing with the emotions of the awareness, a constructive pathway moving forward, you are going to get worse. And you're going to have too much high beta, which will come up as red spots in your brain. You'll have the wrong amount of gamma. You'll have the wrong alpha will start dropping down. So you lose your ability to have insights and flexibility and cognitive flexibility and all the things we need to just cope with day-to-day -day life. And that can lead to increased depression and increased anxiety. You get this negative feedback loop going. So we have to not just, and that's why I say you don't just embrace. Meditation is very much an embracing of the how you feel in the now moment. But I'm saying you go beyond that. You embrace with a gathering of awareness 
of how you are feeling emotionally and physically and the thoughts that it's bringing up. So in other words, I'm telling you to embrace the past and the future, whatever thoughts are coming up, because in this moment of depression that you're feeling as you wake up, you're not just thinking of now. It starts with now, but then you think of this has happened yesterday, last week, and this is and that's happening and this is where it's going to go in the future. So oh, this has happened and I've got to do this and that's what it's going to look like tomorrow. So we immediately go into time travel. So to ignore that creates more problems. So I showed in my research with my experimental group, when we gave them the ability to, to be aware and go beyond and do the, so not just gather awareness, but reflect, write, recheck and active reach and prepare the brain so that the brain gets resilience and prepare the, by prepare the brain, I mean, breathing, movement, tapping, havening, whatever, different types of physical things we can do to calm down our autonomic nervous system and reboot the brain and get inflammation down and that kind of stuff. So physical stuff that you can do. If you combine all of that, you then move a person forward as opposed to just getting stuck in the now moment. And you can learn to do this for yourself. You can learn to do this with others and you can learn to do this to change your environment. So it's not just that you do this in isolation. And people often ask me, does this replace therapy? Not at all. This will enhance therapy. But if you're going to therapy, you might be going once or twice a week or whatever, or not at all, or you're talking to someone, maybe a counselor, or you're just talking to a friend or whatever. What do you do with yourself the other six days of the week and 24-7? That's what I'm teaching with the neurocycle. Your mind is always with you. Your mind is with every decision you make. Your mind is with you when you eat, sleep, drink, everything. So therefore, you need to manage your mind in order to manage the physical responses in your brain and your body. When you do that, there are direct physical results. I love what you said about the meditation, that was one of the most eye-opening things I read in your book that, you know, it's possible we have utilized this tool in the wrong way or that it might not be capable of providing what we're looking for as far as changing our thoughts, changing our reality. So it seems like a really tricky path because on the one hand, you talk about how we have to be conscious of our, quote, toxic thoughts in order to change them. But then on the other hand, there's the fear of what you mentioned of rumination and dwelling on the toxic thoughts and that doesn't help when listeners practically apply your five steps like how much time is it each day how does it keep the listener allow them to address the thoughts but not ruminate so what does it look like on like a timeline perspective very excellent question so one of the things that we as humans are very good at doing and sometimes we lose the skill but basically what we are pretty good at trying to do all the time and that is get order out of chaos what this neurocycle does is it helps you get order out of the chaos in your driver and your mind is your driver so if your mind is a mess everything else in your life will be a mess and we can hide that for a while we can temporarily suppress things and we can distract ourselves and but eventually it catches up with you as we all know eventually stuff that's undealt with will catch up with you so the timeline of how to do this is two different timelines. The most simple timeline to understand is let's say that we are dealing with, let's take our depression example and let's see that, okay, maybe that person who's depressed, is this a pattern? Do you wake up every morning depressed? Is this a consistent pattern through your day? So to find that out, to see if this is what, why this is happening, if it's just a one-off thing, then there's, there's, then, then, then there's, it's easier to, to fix that, but there may be something else that's more consistent. 
let's say that this is quite a common pattern. Maybe it happens three to five times a week and maybe it happens three to five times a day or maybe it happens more. No judgment, okay? This is good. We embrace it. Let's not adopt the Western culture's philosophy that's damaged us, that's caused people to die younger, which is, oh dear, I'm depressed. That's bad. There's something wrong with me. I've got a neuropsychiatric brain disease. I need to suppress it. That's what we've been told and it's the wrong message. It's the wrong narrative. If you're feeling depressed, there's a narrative around your depression. There's a context around your depression because the depression you're experiencing is a warning signal. It's not an it. It's not an illness. It is a warning signal. It's a symptom of something going on in your life or something that has been going on or something that did go on that's never been dealt with. Let's say that you feel that this is a consistent pattern. So you therefore need to get to the bottom of why you get into depression quite often and why it tends to throw you into negative rumination and get down these rabbit holes. And what I quickly want to ask you, Melanie, is at the end of answering the timeline, please can you ask me again to explain the difference between overthinking, ruminating, and deep thinking and how to convert those two? Because that's because you brought that up in, in the beginning of this question and it, it deserves its own answer. It's, it's an excellent question. So, but let's come back to the timeline. So now you want to work out why you like this, why this is a pattern in your life. And there's an underlying symptom. There's an underlying, it's a symptom of an underlying cause. Well, it's going to take you 63 days at least, which is nine weeks. We've all been misled by a myth that began many years ago, and I talk about it in my book as well, in the first half of the book, by a plastic surgeon, a surgeon who put out just a comment about 21 days, and it got, as it often does with a myth, it starts with some sort of statement made by someone who's popular, and then it gets wound into into almost into the fabric of, of uh, and with social media, it can happen very quickly, but it's not necessarily a fact and it's not a fact. You do not build habits, which are automatized patterns, in very intelligent, dynamic, automatized patterns that drive you in 21 days. They are built in over 63 days. I mean, I say 63 days, give or take, it's around about nine weeks. And what happens in three weeks, the 21 days, in 21 days, you will build a long-term memory. So it takes around about 21 days to make thoughts with fairly sustainable long-term memories in them. So it takes 63 days to form a habit, but more or less three weeks to build a long-term memory. If you build a long-term memory, a long-term memory, long-term memories is actually inside of a long-term thought. So if you think of a tree, a tree has got branches and it's got roots. That's what thoughts look like. Thoughts have got branches and roots. And those branches are memories that produce your words and actions. And the roots are lots of branches as well, root branches, and they are the origin story of the issue. So when we talk about thinking, feeling, and choosing being mind and building a thought, a thought is made of memories. So when I talk about it taking 21 days to build a long-term memory, I'm talking about the long-term memories in a thought. So a thought, if you pull up a thought, so as you start working through why you're depressed on a consistent basis, you're going to pull up a thought. And along with that thought is going to be maybe hundreds or even thousands of different memories with all the emotions. Memories are never separated from memories or data and they have emotional data. So it's informational data plus emotional data. So one thought of I and battling with depression, so that's the thought tree, has gonna, is going to have a lot of different emotional and informational data in the branches, which leads to the behaviors that you have. And that can be tracked back to a bunch of roots memories, which is so like a tree has got multiple roots. A thought has multiple root causes. So it's going to, you're going to think of a lot of stuff. There's going to be a lot of stuff coming up in your head. It's not one thing that comes up in your head. It's one concept 
depression, but it's made of, does that make sense? It's got lots of different memories. I just want to emphasize that. So in 21 days, you will have found and changed through this neurocycle, embraced, processed, and reconceptualized a new version of the thought. So you would have found out why you've been feeling depressed. You would have gone from the warning signals of depression to your behaviors, to your perspective, to the root causes. So right way, all the way through the tree over the 21 days. And in doing that sort of deconstruction process, you would have reconstructed a new way of thinking. So it takes around about 21 days of seven, between 15 to 45 minutes a day of working through the five steps to pull up that tree and start breaking it down. So you don't spend hours every day. You spend a, It's very important that you limit the time. And you can do as little as seven minutes and at maximum 45 minutes. And in that seven to 45 minutes on day one, you're not going to solve the problem. You may only just see a few signals. You may not even get one single you know, even in your reflect, you may not get much further than I feel depressed because I feel overwhelmed. That day two, you'll see a few more things and day three, you'll see a few more things. So as you progress through using the same five steps each day, by day 21, you would have a very good idea of the detail of on that thought tree of the memories, behavior memories, emotional memories, and the root causes of those behaviors you'll have this reconceptualized tree. You'll be able to say things like, and this is what my subject said in my clinical trial. They came in saying, I am depressed. I have clinical depression. I've been diagnosed with clinical depression, for example. And by day 21, they were saying, I still feel depressed, but the difference is I am not depression. I am not clinical depression. I am depressed because of, and now I know how why I'm depressed and why I've battled with depression, and I now have a management technique. So that's the progress. By day 63, they were saying, okay, now I actually have a way of managing this depression. So if the depression pops up, activated by whatever the trigger was, I now know how to immediately get that under control. That's the pathway to empowerment. Does that make sense? It does. It's incredible. And so in that seven to 45 minutes each day, and then beyond that for the rest of the day, like what is the difference between rumination and overthinking and how does that all come into play? The work you do in the seven to 45 minutes is to sit down and, and use the five steps and how to do that. I based, briefly demonstrated early on with that depression example, but in the book, the second half of the book, I walk you through exactly how to do that. So I explain the five steps in detail and then I take you through how to do that. So let's say that you're working on an acute trauma, which is something that happens suddenly like COVID or losing your job or death of a loved one or sudden sickness or whatever, something that hits you out the blue. It's acute. It's unexpected. I have a chapter on how to deal with these different types of trauma. You get acute trauma, you get big T trauma and small T trauma, and they're all equally destructive and need to have attention. They're just different types. So big T trauma would be something like a repeated rape or a small T trauma would be lots of cases of like maybe bullying, repeated bullying or looking after someone who's sick or dealing with someone who's who's suicidal or something. That's still trauma, but it's called little T trauma, not that it's any less damaging. It's just different. And then acute trauma is sudden trauma. 
So the big T trauma is the stuff that tends to happen like in early childhood or like a big major thing that can repeat itself more than once, but it's a major thing that is totally pinpointed at that time that happened. And then the the little T traumas are those little day-to-day things that never go away. So living with a narcissistic person, for example, or having a narcissistic partner or having a very bullying boss and day after day after day, that kind of thing. That the, and then the acute trauma is a sudden stuff. So I've got in the, there's a chapter teaching you how to deal with each of those types of trauma for the 7 to 45 minutes over the 63 days. Over day 1 to 21, you are deconstructing and reconstructing and building the new sustainable reconstructed mem- thought which is how you will find mental peace from day 22 to 63 you are giving it sufficient energy in order for it to change your behavior so if i just go to, the, to day 21 there will be neuroplastic changes in my brain you will have found most of the reasons why you are depressed or whatever you would have unpacked a lot of what the toxic trauma was and you would have reconceptualized it and created a new way of dealing with this so that you have mental peace and that you can cope, but it's not strong yet. So if you don't do the next 42 days, it won't have enough energy for you to sustain the new pattern of thinking to impact your behavior. And then you can get stuck in rumination and and frustration because you think, but I've done the work. Why am I still battling? And rumination and overthinking are pretty much the same thing. And it's it's taking that one thought, which I described at the beginning of the session when I talked about you wake up in the morning, you feel depressed and your mind just goes down this rabbit hole of negativity of this and this and this and this is terrible. So you're going in a circle as opposed to deep thinking, which is saying, okay, I feel like this, I acknowledge this, but what am I going to do about it? So deep thinking is using the five steps. It's saying, okay, I embrace this, I reflect, I write, I recheck, I active reach. Okay. So as you use the neurocycle, you are training yourself to go from overthinking and ruminating into a pattern of deep thinking, deep analytical thinking, which is very healthy, where you can time travel through the past and the present and not have to get stuck in any one of those zones and you change how the future plays out, um, how your past plays out into your future. Ruminating and overthinking is just the awareness part and you go in circles and circles and circles and don't go further. So a lot of talk therapy can keep you in that. There's a lot of talk therapy where people go for years and years and they don't don't seem to get better because you just keep reinforcing the same thing and you just whatever you think about the most will grow. So you're talking about it, but you're not moving through it. You're not doing something to address it. So in your five steps of the neurocycle, your fifth step is is a very active step. And what you're doing on days 22 to 40 to 63 is you are doing a strong active step. So it could be that each time that you find yourself falling back into that depression pattern because you are activated by that trigger, you are going to immediately do tapping. And as you're tapping, you're going to say that the statement, I am not shame, it wasn't my fault, or don't say if only, or whatever it is that you're working on. So maybe someone who's sexually abused, very common with people that go through sexual trauma, they feel that they were responsible, that they're guilty, that they deserve that kind of behavior. So when they've worked through the 21 days and they find out they, they find that reason, then for the next 42 days, as they f- start feeling that in themselves by some sort of trigger or just whatever activates that feeling, the active reach would be to, se- to spend, you don't spend long at all. You spend seven seconds to seven minutes max a day, just immediately grabbing an overarching active reach at the end of 21 days, which is something like, I am not shame. I am not guilty. It was not my fault that that happened. I do deserve to be treated better. So a couple of statements like that, that you then type into your phone. And I've got an actually got an app called the NeuroCycle app, which works hand in hand with the book. And you can actually type it into your phone and you can set 
the active reach to come up in the first 21 days, seven times a day. And in the second 42 days, this from day 22 to 63, you can set it to come up seven times a day. And as it pops up on your phone, you simply read that reminder statement. You read, I am not shame. I do deserve love. It's not my fault. Or maybe you're working on if only, you say well, if only all the time. Don't say your if only. Remember not to say if only today or something like that. So it's a statement and it could also be an action. It's always a good idea to attach it to some beautiful visual. Like I'm very partial to white roses. So I tend to hang my active reaches onto a visual image of beautiful white roses. You can be anything. It can change. So your day 22 to 43 is to just simply read that statement and couple it with that beautiful visual image. And what you're doing is you're adding a lot of strength and energy. Like when you water a plant, the plant grows. You're adding energy to that new, newly created thought that now by the end of nine weeks, those subjects of mine in my experimental group that said, at the beginning of the study that they wanted to die and give up from depression. By the middle of the study, we're saying, okay, I'm still depressed, but I know what to do. By the end of the study, they're saying, okay, I know now, I know exactly why I was depressed. I've got it under control. I'm actually set free. I've got mental peace. I can remember how I was. I have a tool moving forward. So they've reordered the brain. They've rewired the brain completely. So that's the sort of time frame for the big stuff. Let's say that you're building a new habit. Let's say you want to eat more healthily or you want to stop snapping at someone or you have a whatever bad habit you want to fix or new habit you want to build. I also teach you how to do that in the book, how to use the 63 days to build a new habit you want in your life or to break down a toxic habit you have in your life. So it's not just for traumas, it's also for toxic habits or building new habits. So that's yeah. So and then there's also a whole section on brain building, which is a separate question which we can maybe address. Hi friends. Okay. So I'm a little bit embarrassed because I've been talking for so long about red light and near infrared therapy, which is so, so important. However, I kind of left out something really important about light. So as you guys know, I've been talking about red light and near infrared for so long. And at the same time during the day, I was using a bright, sad light. So it's those white lights that help with waking you up, help with your circadian rhythm. They're used to combat mood issues and depression. So I have a really bright white one of those at my desk. A few things about that. I knew it helped wake me up and kept me stimulated, but I wasn't sure if it had any detrimental effects using it. And then two, I was also wondering if by just focusing on red and near-infrared light, was I somehow missing something in the full spectrum of light? Guess what? I was. And guess what? I found the solution. And guess what? I have a discount for you guys. So the founder of a company called Soulshine reached out to me and he was like, do you know about the importance of full spectrum light? And I was like, you know what? I've been wondering about this for quite a while. Please educate me. Oh my goodness. This man blew my mind. I talk a lot about the problems of blue light. That said, we evolved in natural full spectrum sunlight that our genes are programmed to respond to. And today we do not spend enough time in that light. A lot of us don't go outside and we're overexposed to blue light. It's a problem. And then to make things even more problematic, the common sad lights that I was talking about that are bright white, they actually do not contain the full spectrum light. They filter out certain wavelengths and they're high in blue light. So just like I thought, it was not doing my health many services. There is only one company I have found, or I guess that found me, that makes a full spectrum white light device. So the Soul Light Systems include the fullest spectrum of visible and invisible near-infrared light with traces of UV light. Yep, that's right, because you need all of that as well. Don't worry, 
It's not an exuberant amount that's going to cause a problem. It's just a tiny little dose that your body actually needs. You can use these lights to fix your circadian rhythm and properly stimulate your brain's suprachiasmatic nucleus or SCN in a way that it was supposed to be stimulated. It's kind of like the natural spectral diet. Because yes, you may be suffering from malillumination. Did you know that your entire bloodstream actually filters through your eyes in a relatively short amount of time? That's the only way your blood is exposed to the outside world. So when we expose our eyes to this light, it actually can have beneficial effects on our blood. That is crazy. It helps with skin, with mood. This is the light that I wasn't thinking about that we need. I love Soulshine's light therapy devices. I do use it in combination with my red and near infrared light devices as well so that I can fully bathe my body in the best light that is so helpful for my sleep, for my stress, for my metabolism, for my immunity, for my health, so many things. They have so many different device options. They have one that I love that kind of looks like a juve and I sit it on my desk and it has options for the full spectrum light, which is that bright white light, as well as an ear infrared option. So what I do is I do a session of the full spectrum light in the morning and then I run the near infrared to help counteract the negative blue light around me. They also have stands with bulbs that you can get. I've been using some of those on my plants. I am just so grateful that Ken at Soulshine found me because I was missing out on such a key aspect of light and I had no idea. And you can get 10% off at melanieavalon.com slash soulshine. That's S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code Melanie Avalon. So melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code Melanie Avalon for 10% off. It's really helped my mood, my energy, my sleep, so many things. I think you guys will love it. So again, go to melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get 10% off site-wide. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. Hi friends, an incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold contamination. Contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, <laughs> drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. 
On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash danger coffee and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash danger coffee with the coupon code melanieavalon for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10 year decade bulletproof coffee habit but sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. Friends, you guys know I love wine. Do you love wine? I've done a lot of research on wine and I truly believe there are a myriad of health benefits the longest-lived populations drink wine, the polyphenols have a ton of potential health benefits, activating anti-aging sirtuins, potentially supporting our immunity, maybe even encouraging weight loss. Yep, it's actually not alcohol that makes people gain weight, it's what they eat when they drink. But if you want all of the benefits of wine, the type of wine you're drinking is key. Conventional wine in the U.S. is often full of toxins. We're talking things like pesticides, mold, and additives. Dyes, colorizers, artificial flavors. Have you even seen some wine that says vegan? That's because conventional wine isn't even necessarily vegan because of the additives. I am obsessed with a company called Dry Farm Wines. They're not a wine producer, but rather a wine investigator. They go all throughout Europe and they find the wineries practicing organic practices, and then they test those wines to make sure the wines are, wait for it, low alcohol, low sugar, free of toxins, free of mold, and truly supportive of your health. I'm obsessed with Dry Farm Wines. One of the most fun things for me as a wine lover is you get mixed boxes of wine and it introduces you to varietals from all over the world. The wines taste amazing and you can say goodbye to hangovers. If you think you can't drink wine, you've got to try Dry Farm Wines. I am obsessed. You can get a bottle for a penny. Yes, a penny. Just go to dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to claim your penny bottle. That's dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon. All right, now back to the show. Something I would love to dive briefly into is what you actually did find in your trials, because you mentioned a lot like how the users would say that they felt different, but you actually did work on their brain scans. So what did you find in people's brains, like how they were changing with this work and their blood biomarkers? So just to get you into the sort of, to make the science more accessible, what I have been describing so far is if we've got thoughts that 
trying to find toxic thoughts that of, of early childhood trauma or early traumas or whatever in our life and bad habits and all that kind of thing. That's what we've just discussed up to this point that you change over the 63 days. You can also use the neurocycle all day long. So in the moment of waking up and feeling depressed, I'm just using that example, you wake up and you have an argument with someone or something, you can do a neurocycle in five seconds. So I call those neurocycle life hacks and I've also put those in the book. So the concept of controlling your mind occurs in a fixed sort of schedule where you're working on something specific, which is that short period of 15 to 45 minutes for the first 21 days and then seven seconds to seven minutes for the other 42 days thereafter. But you can also use it all day long because remember, your mind is always working. So in doing the very fixed work of daily working for 63 days, you also then retrain how you work during the rest of the day. So as you go through the day and you've got life happens and you have an email, or someone speak toxic words, or you catch yourself people pleasing, or you catch yourself, whatever, the stuff that moment by moment you can also neurocycle. Neurocycling is something you can do in five seconds, in five minutes, in whatever. So I just wanted to stress that it is mind management and your mind is always working. So in my research, what I did over the 38 years, and it culminated in this most recent clinical trial, and I'm doing more trials too, Melanie, which we starting in the latter half of this year. And I'm also publishing papers and all this stuff. But I did a nice summary, as you saw in the book, of these trials. I've made it simple. The book's got lovely colored graphs of these brain scans and all that kind of thing. And you can skip through all the science if you want to. But the, if, if you scan through, just look at the pictures, you'll see these little sections in the book where I've said, so what does this mean for you? So if you want to know what the science means for you, look for those little sections they threw out the book, which I'm sure you saw, Melanie, to help make it easier to understand. So essentially what I did was I took two groups. I did what we call a random control trial, RCT, which is the gold standard of research, where it's a very objective and it's very controlled and that I'm stressing that because this wasn't just some random thing. It was very, very scientifically controlled research. We had an experimental group and a control group and the experimental group got the neurocycle. The control group didn't get the neurocycle. They were tested at certain time points. They came into, into the clinic at certain, we were using a, neuro, a neurology clinic and they came in at day one, day 21 and day 63. So they had three lots of blood taken and they had a, they had Q, three QEEGs done over that nine-week period. And then in between, we did d- digital analyses at day seven, day 14, day 21, and day 42. So there was a lot of contact with these subjects. And I'm stressing that is because all this contact we had with them made them very aware of their issues. And the control group became just as aware as the experimental group, but the control group didn't have any mind management. So they got worse in the nine weeks, really bad. At the end of the nine weeks, they all got the neurocycle so they could fix themselves. But the experimental group got the neurocycle. So two groups, both being made aware of their issues. One got the mind management, one didn't. And there was radical differences that we saw in them. Very briefly, both groups, what we looked at was their First of all, the most important was their narrative, their story, the context of their life. What's going on in your life? What's happened? Why are you in this trial? So everyone's an individual. Your whole story is vitally important. And that's what's ignored in today's mental health world. Your story is not important. Your symptoms are what they look at. And symptoms tell us only that there's something going on. So if you only use the symptom and you try and suppress the symptom, you don't deal with the issue. So in my research, I didn't want to, I want to do, I'm fighting against that and saying we have to look at the whole person, their context, their narrative. Then I looked at the, some standard psychological tools that are used in, in hospitals and psychiatric hospitals. And then I have developed my own tool that looks at mind management that actually 
correlates with what's going on in your brain. So with the psychological tool I developed called the LMM, we can actually see, answering those questions, you, we can actually tell you what's going on in your brain and in your DNA, which is phenomenal, and your, and your blood. The other psychological tests used in psychiatric wards and so on don't do that. So we use the narrative, the psychological test, and then the test that I developed that looked at mind management and self-regulation and stuff. Then we looked at the QEEG, which is looking inside the brain real time, all the energy was alpha, delta, gamma, beta, how the energy is responding, the asymmetry, all that fancy stuff that I spoke about earlier on. And then we also looked, took blood measures where we looked at people's cortisol, which we all know is related to stress. We looked at their DHEA. So for example, you've all heard of the hypothalamic pituitary axis, the HPA axis. We hear about it all the time with COVID. If you're stressed, your cortisol levels rise, your HPA axis goes awry and that kind of thing. So we looked at cortisol, we looked at DHEA, we looked at ACTH, which is which is one of the hormones in the stress axis along with cortisol. We looked at things like homocysteine, which is, shows us what's going on in inflammation wise in the brain and the body. And we looked, so in other words, we looked at blood markers that looked for how you were managing your stress. Because we, we know from the research that if cortisol rises and DHEA drops and homocysteine rises, that means that there's a lot of inflammation in your brain and your body and you're at risk for heart problems and brain problems and immune system problems and your increased vulnerability to disease is 75 to 95% factor and that kind of stuff. And we also looked at people's DNA. So we looked at the, the telomeres, which if you think of the DNA strand and then you pull out a chromosome, a chromosome is an X. So if you cross your fingers over and you look at your fingernails, your fingernails are your telomeres. And the telomeres are, in the scientific language, proxies for how you are managing your mental health. So what we see from the research is that if you are managing your mind, if you are doing all the stuff I said earlier on, embracing, processing, reconceptualizing, blah, 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 your telomeres will be very healthy. Every second you're making millions of new cells. And the reason, one of the main things involved in making cells is your telomeres. And if they're not strong, then your cells aren't strong. So for example, what that would look like is is um, poor cellular health, which what that looks like, we had some people in, in at the beginning of our study, their actual age was in their mid-30s, but their DNA showed that their biological age, the age of their cells was a sickly 65-year-old. So their body was 35 years older than their actual age. So that's scary because that increases your vulnerability to disease. If you're 35 and you've got a 65-year-old sick body, you can imagine what that looks like in terms of health. And we showed with those people giving them the neurocycle, we changed that completely. Their telomeres got so strong that their biological and chronological ages started, they, they recombined. In other words, their body got healthy in nine weeks, which is unheard of because normally the research shows it takes up to five years for that kind of change. We saw it in nine weeks. And the point there is that by using mind management, you can make significant health changes in your brain and your body in as short as nine weeks. We saw people at the beginning of the study in the control and experimental group with terribly high cortisol, very high ACTH, very high homocysteine, which meant that the body was working against them and that they had a lot of inflammation and they were very vulnerable to heart disease and that kind of stuff. And with mind management within nine weeks, there was a significant normalization of cortisol and homocysteine, which meant that the inflammation had reduced, the cortisol levels had reduced. The even th We even looked at things like prolactin, which is a hormone that shows how you're managing your emotions and your stress. And if that's high, 
it's also going to be um, inflammation in your brain and body and increase your chance of disease. Even that dropped. So what I'm saying is that when you manage your mind, it's the what it's 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 the most powerful factor. The, the I'm not saying diet and exercise aren't important, but if you don't manage your mind, you won't even get the benefit out of that diet and that exercise. You won't do it. You won't stick to it in the first place. So you first have to get your mind right. You can use the neurocycle to do that. Then you can use the neurocycle to then make sure you get into a healthy eating plan and exercise plan and relaxation plan and all that kind of thing. So the neurocycle is used for everything you need in your lifestyle. And if you do that, what I showed in my research is that you will strengthen your telomeres. You will get beautiful balance between the all the different waves in your brain. And what we want to see with the waves in your brain, with the QEG, is you want to see a balance across the two sides of the brain. We want to see the front two left and the right side working in harmony. We want to see a flow of, of all the different waves. So if you think of the sea, if you go far out to sea, you get massive swells. Those are like what we call delta waves. And then as you come in closer to the shore, you get big swells, but they're not as big. That would be theta. When theta flows in the brain, you get a lot of healing response and you get a lot of activation of hormones from your heart that help with healing. Then if you, as you come closer on the boat and the waves start forming, that's beta. And as the wave crests and you get the white, that's high beta. And high beta doesn't last for long. It, it's just a quick crash on the beach and then you get the little ripples that's gamma and then the whole cycle starts again now that's what you want in your brain that's very healthy for your brain when your brain is doing that your blood and your dna and your cortisol and all these fancy things i'm saying will start stabilizing and what we saw was within nine weeks within three weeks already there was massive change but within nine weeks it was sustainable change so we don't want to just see you fine off to two days or five days or seven days or 14 days or 21, we want to see that you can sustain it. So at six months later, we, we, we looked at our, our experimental group and the patterns of management, the changes in their brain and their body and their blood and their psychology and their life were sustained because they had done that nine weeks of the neurocycling and they continued to do it. It was a lifestyle. So there, there's a lot of information, Melanie. Sorry, I can talk a lot. <laughs> No, it's incredible. And for listeners, have no fear. There will be a full transcript in the show notes. I'll put links to everything, to Dr. Leaf's book, to the new app. I just, I want to thank you so much for all of this because I think it is such a valuable practical tool that could change, I mean, millions of people's lives. I know you have to go to the very last question that I ask every single guest on this show. And it's because as you'll appreciate how important mindset is surrounding everything. So what is something that you're grateful for? I'm grateful for the fact that we can actually control our mind. I think it's one of the most phenomenal things that it, that it mind is malleable. We can, it's a skill that we can learn. It changes your life. I mean, this is because it is your life. Your mind is your life. So the fact that you can actually control your mind is great because you can't control the events and circumstances of life, but you can control your mind and how you respond. Well, thank you so much. This has been incredible. I look forward to all your future work. I'm going to start doing the five cycles myself and I will report back. I'm so excited, but thank you. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Melanie. Thanks for the great questions and for giving me so much time to explain. Oh, of course. Hopefully we can talk again in the future, do another episode. Absolutely. Wonderful. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got this.